Welcome to the Drawscast Podcast. Inspiration, motivation, and leadership with an attitude. And now, coming to you live from the palatial Drawscast Studios and streaming worldwide, ladies and gentlemen, Draws. Right, and welcome back to the Draws Cast Podcast. I sincerely appreciate all of you who are uh, committed and uh, loyal listeners. And as you know, 2020 has brought many more guests into the podcast, and I have another great podcast guest today. And uh, we'll just get right into it because he's got a lot of great information to uh, to share with us today. So I'm thrilled to welcome our guest today, the best-selling author of nearly 50 sports books. He's an award-winning Hall of Fame peak performance speaker who's keynoted conferences on all seven continents and has been featured on CNN, CBS This Morning, ESPN, Fox News, as well as Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and USA Today. His mission today is to get us all thinking differently about how we can raise our games to the next level. Please join me in welcoming Ross Bernstein. Ross, welcome to the Drawscast. Great to be with you, Draws. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Super excited to have you on. Of course, uh, for those of you who have not heard of Ross, he's a, a author of of, of these 50 books that w- was just mentioned, and uh, they're all primarily sports-related books. So uh, for those of you who know me, sports is a big part of my life as well, so we have that commonality. And uh, as I like to do, Ross, with uh, everybody who joins in the podcast, I like to build a little base of where people started out, their upbringing. So if you could start out by telling us uh, where you grew up and maybe take us to uh, up until that day that you went on to uh, your college campus. Yeah. I, I grew up in a little town in southern Minnesota called Fairmont, about six miles from the Iowa border, middle of nowhere. Grew up uh, on a lake, uh, sports fanatic, uh, fourth generation family furniture store. So I grew up working uh, with my dad and my grandpa, my great grandpa, my brothers, and uh, eventually wound up at the University of Minnesota, uh, like the rest of my family, as a golden gopher. So that's, uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. All right. So you are a proud, uh, now what is it? Is it purple and gold official? the the colors or that, that's the maroon and gold <laughs> you're thinking of the vikings they're both awful but but get get it straight man <laughs> okay yes and that would be you know i mean i would expect to know my colors and you would expect yours i i'm sorry I, i'm not keeping the golden gopher straight although on a side note their football team sure is looking up uh, moving into the next few years. That's right. We are uh, rowing the boat with PJ Fleck, who is your Central Michigan rival up there at uh, Western, as I believe, as I recall. Correct, and I believe uh, uh, the Michigan Wolverines are making a trip up to Minneapolis this year as well. So yeah, I want my damn jug back. Just FYI, tell them that. Okay, <laughs> you've had the little run jug for like forty years. It's time to give it back. Play nice. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, I will, uh, I'll let them know that and I'm sure I'll get some pushback, but all right. So Southern Minnesota Fairmount out in the middle of nowhere by Iowa. And uh, the idea of you going to uh, the university of Minnesota uh, really was kind of a foregone conclusion, right? A real family lineage that, that uh, went up to uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah. Everyone, my mom, dad, brothers, aunts, uncles, we were all gophers. But you played hockey as well, right? Growing up? 
I did. I, I, you know, I, I had a crazy story. I, when I was 10, I watched the miracle on ice and I, I, I uh, fell in love with hockey and it's almost non-existent in Southern Minnesota. It's, it's a Northern Minnesota thing, or at least North of where I was. But I, I begged my parents to let me go to the Herb Brooks hockey camp. I was the worst guy there. I won the most improved award for the guy who sucks the most, <laughs> but I got into hockey and, and, and lo and behold, I, when I was at the university of Minnesota, I, I walked on, I was friends with some guys in the team and I just, they encouraged me to walk on. I, I lasted about eight minutes. I, I got cut and I wound up becoming the team mascot, Goldie the Gopher. So I became a large smelly rodent and uh, wound up writing a book about it as a senior in college. It was ca- called Gopher Hockey by the Hockey Gopher. And, uh, you know, nearly 50 books later, I've made a career out of it. So I, 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 it, the Gophers are very near and dear to me. And my daughter is going to be a, a freshman this fall at, the, at Minnesota. So it's a, the, the lineage continues. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, so you were Goldie the Gopher now. Was it just for hockey or did you, uh, were you doing it for other sports as well? You know, hockey was our main sport. We were good at hockey. I mean, I, I really had not much interest in the football team in the late 80s because they were so awful. It was no fun being a mascot in a Metrodome half full. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I did a few, you know, football, basketball. But, uh, you know, in Minnesota, hockey, you know, it's our thing. So every game was a sellout. The collective blood alcohol level is about 14. So the, the fans were pretty riled up. It was a good place to be. Yeah, hockey sure has that going for it, right? The the level of intensity that really happens on the ice, too, but the level of intensity that goes on in the stands, uh, fueled by alcohol quite a bit, but uh, it's pretty intense. So um, I can definitely uh, see, and, and that is my second favorite sport, but all you have to do is go to an arena and, and you feel the intensity of what's coming off on the ice and then the stands. Well, you played you played college baseball, right, Draws? I sure did. I am a Chippewa from Central Michigan University. Yeah, we did not have hockey though. Central Michigan has hockey now, but it did not. It didn't even have a a, a club team, and and frankly, there was not even a uh, ice arena in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, when I was going there. Hmm. So things have changed quite a bit, uh, mm-hmm. and they do have a team there now. Uh, so what was your degree, uh, when you left there at Minnesota? French. Seriously. It was the only thing I could graduate with draws after, uh, after six years, it was like, you know, you, you better find something just, just to, just to graduate. So that was, uh, that's what I wound up with a degree in French. And then I had, uh, a minor in speech communications, which I put to good use. So now it comes in very handy when I speak in Montreal or Paris, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh that's that's really interesting. Uh mine ended up being because being the you know probably the ultimate uh, jock screw off in uh in college. Uh I looked uh up after 4 years of playing baseball and not being able to play professionally. Uh I said, "All right, well I need to figure out something to uh, get a degree in and I was able to cobble together a degree in communications as well that uh, that ended up as serving me very well so uh, but no French in my background Ross no no French at all <laughs> at a certain point dad said you need to pick something and graduate or I'll be oh. like uh, Belushi from Animal House right in my that's right year, Tommy boy in my case, the scholarship ended, and and my parents said, "All right, what are you what are you doing now?" Yeah. <laughs> I said, "Can you can you help me squeeze out one more year? I'll make it worth your while." And and I and I talked him into it. 
So, uh, but you got the, the, the bug to be a writer, obviously, at Minnesota, uh, correct? I did. You know, I just, I loved sports. That was my passion. And I, I, I wanted desperately to make my career doing what I love to do. And, you know, there were, you know, there were no jobs for people that just love sports. You know what I mean? I wasn't the son of the owner of the team. I wasn't a former athlete. So I had to get creative and I, I took a big leap of faith. I had two older brothers that, that went on to get Ivy League MBAs and my mom and dad wanted me to do that. But I, I leveraged my graduate school money. I said, I'm going to use my money to write and publish a book about the history of gopher hockey from Goldie the Gophers point of view. And, you know, that, that did not go over well. I, I remember, you know, the words failure, disappointment, <laughs> there was a, a lot of four letter words in this conversation, but you know, ultimately they just said, fine, you know, if you're going to fail, you're going to fail, you know, don't come crawling back to us when your money's all gone. But I wrote the book, I had a ball, it became a bestseller regionally. And, and yeah. it just, you know, I, I, it's, it's very much the same message as today draws. I mean, I, uh, you know, I get asked a lot from after speaking engagements, like, you know, how does my kid get into, get into, you know, he loves sports. So how, you know, how do you, how do you kind of create your dream job? And, you know, I, I'm like, you know what? The, the, the opportunities people have today are unbelievable. I mean, I had to beg, borrow, and steal and leverage my graduate school money. You know, I wouldn't eat to, to, to publish a book. I knew nothing about writing or publishing. I mean, I had to spend all this money to print books and put them in distribution and, and deal with Barnes & Noble. And I, I mean, I, I was 21. I had no idea what I was doing. And today... Kids can, you know, make a PDF and upload it to Amazon and say they're an author. They, they, can, they can create a podcast, right? There's no barrier to entry. Justin Bieber did not lead a record label to become famous. He, he had YouTube. So it really is remarkable today, all the, the resources that are available to people that, that want to, to pursue their passion, that want to do things that require zero money and not even that much effort. So it, it really is remarkable. Yeah, the whole advent of the ebook, uh, and I was going to ask you about that, uh, but you, you kind of alluded to it is, is to get a book in print. You know, back in the uh, 1980s or, or whatever it is when you graduated, um, it was it was a big deal. Uh, but flash forward to uh, 2019, and and I did exactly what you're describing there, and I put a book together. Uh, made a PDF out of it and uploaded it as an ebook. And the only cost that it, it, it ended up for me was, is I had some printed and the only thing that it cost was the printing cost per book, but you know, it's super easy. And, and yeah, the, the, the idea of, of a podcast or blogging or anything like that, it's, it's super easy. W one thing that I think it, uh, it creates though. And I, and I think you do too, is it creates a lot more noise in the space, so to speak. Right. So now there's millions of people in this space rather than thousands. So to make a difference or to get noticed, it, it really makes it a little bit more harder. Uh, do you agree? Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. It's, you know, eBooks have changed the landscape drastically, but you know, when I talk a lot about disruption, I mean, that was for me, you know, having written all these books, I could see the writing on the wall, you know, for a book for, for you makes sense. Cause it's a, it's a business card. It's, it's, these are the things that you can talk about as a, as a, as a highly sought after business speaker. So for you, it's, it's a great tool, but for me early on, you know, I'd write two, three books a year 
I didn't, you know, if I didn't write a book, I didn't eat, you know what I mean? And it was, it was like that. This wasn't for vanity reasons. This was for, <laughs> this was life and death. I had to, you know, and most of my books sold for Christmas. So it was like, I might get paid once a year. So it was, it was a stressful, uh, exciting time. I was doing what I love to do and, and being a member of the media and meeting athletes and interviewing them. And, and, uh, but today I, I, you know, I still have that same passion, but now I, I monetize it differently as a speaker. I still study teams. I still try and figure out what makes the great ones great, but I just deliver it in a different platform. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot about what's happening today with, with coronavirus is that people are going to be having to change and they're going to have to be able to, to, you know, their, their industry, their job may not be there when, when this is over. Um, and, and a lot of things are gonna be different. So I think the quick, quicker and sooner you realize that you're going to need to, to really change it, the, the better. And I've gone through that, um, you know, several reinventions. And I know you, you've had amazing success with Little Caesars and, and now you've, you've transformed yourself too, to do things you're more passionate about with speaking and writing and podcasting. So it's, it's, um, it, these are exciting times uh, and lots of opportunities, despite all the craziness that's going on right now, I believe. Yeah. So just to go back a little bit to what you said uh, about, you know, you really needed to create some books so you could eat, you know, but, but it goes back to, to your drive, doesn't it? And, and you, you realize this and you, you do talk about it a lot in your books, uh, just about, uh, the, the hunger and the passion that you need in order to, uh, be the best at what you're doing. Um, now for you, it was a little different because it was desperate, but you still had that hunger to be successful. Um, I think when I think, you know, that you see that in sports, I mean, there's a difference between the average players and the great players. And I think it's the same in business, the, the top producers, um, they just do things differently. And, you know, I, um, I was really driven by, you know, the more books I sold, the more money I made, the more opportunities I had. I mean, money does my happiness, but it certainly gives you freedom. It gives you the ability to say no to things you don't want to do. And, and, uh, I, I've always loved working for myself. So, even now with, with uh, the quarantine we're in, you know, I've always home officed and um, get to spend time with my wife and daughter. And mm -hmm. those are really important things for me. So I think that to be able to kind of create a lifestyle brand or a business that you're, that suits your passions and suits your drive. I think that's, that's the, th that's the thing is being able to figure those things out. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before you really got into writing and speaking full time, uh, you were a sports writer, correct? You know, I never really was a journalist per se. I always, I started out writing books. I did launch a hockey magazine years ago and I did do some journalism. I would write some articles for some golf magazines and there were some things I did that kind of diversified myself, but I always came back to books. I loved, you know, creating it, giving birth to it. And I loved marketing and I could market the hell out of it. I was really good at that. I was really good at, at connecting with the gatekeepers at the NBC and CBS and ABC and Fox affiliates and doing radio interviews. And I was really good. I have a photographic memory. So I can tell you if I was on the radio in, in Duluth, I could pinpoint exactly whatever book it was, what's relevant about Duluth or or Muskegon or wherever the hell I was talking about that it might be, you know, one person in the book from there, but to, to make it relevant and, and to go do book signings and really just to grind and, and hustle. Um, that's the thing. I was just really a grinder, man. I would just during Christmas I, every single day it was signings and interviews. Sometimes I'd have 
30 interviews in a day. You know, I'd be on the radio nonstop and I used to coordinate everything myself. I didn't have any people. I still don't. I, you know, I'm licking stamps and sending out review copies and booking interviews and, you know, just, I just did it. I didn't know any better. And I think that's kind of the whole small town mentality, just get stuff done. And that's just kind of what I did. That's, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, so not so much then as far as like being a beat writer or anything like that, you, you followed teams and you wrote about teams, but it was more for, uh, for your personal brand than really say for a newspaper or a magazine. Yeah, you know, I, I'll tell you what, I know, I know all the beat writers in town. It's a lonely job. You know, you're, when you're a columnist or beat writer, you get, you're, you're a slave to that team. I mean, a beat writer, they're, they're writing factual information. They're at every press conference. The, the columnists had the good jobs. Um, they were the kind of the keynoters in our world as opposed to the trainers, right? They got the big cash. But, you know, you're, you're basically every article is like, well, they should fire the head coach. And then you're at a golf tournament and you see that guy with the head coach. It's just awkward. You know, they, they're, they're never really uh, – you see him in the press box and the dugout and the clubhouse and the locker room and the sideline, and it was just – I, I never wanted to be that guy. I, I wanted to be friends with everybody. I didn't want to have to write negative stuff. I didn't want to have to write controversial stuff or they should fire that guy because that guy's got a family and that just wasn't me. So I, I, I made a just choice early on. I said, you know what? I'm not going to win any Pulitzer Prizes, but I'm going to sell a crap load of books and they're going to be fun. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the direction I've gone. Okay. That's really, really great information, Ross. So uh, how did this transition from uh, writing books turn into being a professional speaker. Uh, did you always feel comfortable uh, speaking in public? Is it something that you had to overcome? Uh, how did this combination evolve into Ross Bernstein being a Hall of Fame speaker uh, along with all these books? Well, I think it's kind of in your DNA. Um, you either love doing it or you don't. It's typically most people's biggest fear in life. So that's, you know, my career is people would statistically rather be eaten by a shark than do what I do for a living. Than yeah. to get up in front of their peers and talk for 90 minutes. But I love it. I mean, I, as a little kid, I was the youngest of three boys. I was always clamoring for attention. You know, I dressed up like a giant rodent as Goldie the Gopher, the, the mascot. So, you know, I, I figured if I could make 30,000 people laugh, I was, I was going to be okay at this. But, you know, I read my first book. I'd, 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 I'd be on TV and tell a story. People laugh. And then, you know, you get a phone call from a chamber of commerce or a rotary club or some other, the Elks Lodge. They go, hey, we got a luncheon. We'll come on over. We got 50 bucks. We'll give you lunch and you can sign books. Great, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you're off to the races and you're, you're telling stories and you figure out what works. People laugh and eventually you get kind of serious about it. And, you know, now I've got a, a business, right? I consistently do about 100 keynote speeches a year all over the world. And, and it's, a, it's a thing and, it, and, it's, and I love it. But it's still... Uh, you know, you still got to kind of pinch yourself and you still get horrified. You walk onto a stage of 10,000 people and there's a moment where you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, and, but you know, you just, you go, okay, you, you, I got this and you, and you just kind of do it and, and I love it. So I'm very lucky. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those rare people that I, I, I found a career that I, I very much love. Yeah. And it is part of the rush though, right? The, the fear. <laughs> you know, when you go up on stage For that, sure. that it's, uh, that it's you and it's all you and every move that you make, uh, it, it, it's all about, it's all about you. So there's definitely an adrenaline rush that goes with that as well. So yeah, that's really good. Uh, so how long, let's just talk about writing books for just a minute. Cause you wrote, uh, wrote 50. Um, how long does it take you 
from you know first pen to uh, to paper till the time that you could say, all right, it's time to send this to press. How long does it usually take you? You know, they really vary. Each one is different. Sometimes I do a coffee table book that was history based, and it was just like you know a year and a half of research. And other times it might be a biography of a coach, and you're just like you can jam and you can just crank out interviews and write and you can get it done in a couple months. So it just depends how hard you want to work. You know, each one is different. Each one has a different scope. Some require hundreds of interviews and you know, it's hard when you're interviewing celebrity athletes, it's hard to get a hold of them. It's hard to get people to return your calls. It's hard to email people and and line up interviews. And so, you know, there's just a lot of factors that go into it, but um, each one kind of took on a life of its own. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, uh, that's really good stuff. Um, so sometimes it's months, sometimes it's years, but, uh, but you just have to keep plugging away, uh, in order to, in order to get that book done. So, uh, that's really good. Uh, did you find that, um, did you self publish to begin with, I guess is my I first did. question. Okay. Yeah, I probably, you know, self-publish um, half my books and the other half I've worked with different publishers on. But um, I like both models. They're, they're both have different, you know, objectives. So the self-publishing can be very lucrative. I mean, if you can do a regional book and you can promote it and sell the crap out of it, you can, it can be very profitable. But working with a publisher, the yin and the yang is, you know, they, t- they assume all the financial risk, but yeah. you don't make as much. So it just depends what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed, uh, uh, as I've gone through, uh, all of your books that you really have different themes, uh, but they, most of them always kind of come back to, uh, to a leadership, uh, type of theme. Um, which theme or series of books, uh, did you find you enjoyed the most writing? Was it the code books? Yeah, probably. Uh, okay. Yeah, the codes were really interesting. Those were big bestsellers. The hockey code was turned into a movie with an Academy Award-winning director. That was pretty cool. Um, yeah, so for your listeners, the, the 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 code book started with the hockey code, and it's about fighting in hockey, and it's about this living, breathing honor code that the players live by, and it was fascinating. You know, getting a chance to to really dive deep in into uh you know people like in your world the the bob probers the joey Cosers, the the enforcers um and they live by this honor code and and uh it's about these unwritten unspoken codes and if if, if you you know in, in hockey they don't allow players to wear face masks because if you cheap shot a guy if you take liberties of the smaller player if you if you do something stupid this honor code says you must be held accountable and you can't hide behind a face mask so an enforcer will you know you know, tap, tap you on the back and say, okay, let's go. And yeah. you drop, you drop the mitts and, and you might lose some teeth. We, we call that spitting chiclets in my business. And, <laughs> but you learn a valuable lesson about respect and about the golden rule and, and the game polices itself. So I wrote that book and then I wrote the baseball code. And on the cover of that book is a very famous picture of Nolan Ryan, giving Robin Ventura, the business. If you remember that where he's got him in a headlock and, and it's about why players get drilled in baseball. And again, it's not about why they get drilled. It's about what leads up to it. It's the backstory. It's the fact that maybe he, he was stealing signs or pimped a home run or did something disrespectful. And it's about how players retaliate. It's about retribution. And then I wrote the football code. And so it's really about, it's about this fine line between cheating and gamesmanship in sports 
and justice. And, and now I talk about that in, in business through my program called The Champion's Code, about what it means to be a champion and about winning the right way, winning with integrity, doing, you know, doing all the right things. And, and uh, when I was keynote speaker at, at Little Caesars, that was, that was the, the you know, celebrating great companies like your company that do it the right way and, and that bring in great people and give back to their communities. And so um, it, it really turned out to be a really deep, interesting topic. People were fascinated by it because no one really knows why players get drilled in baseball or in, in football, what happens under a scrum or in a pile or when the, when the camera's looking one way, what goes on the other way. And it's, it's really an interesting dynamic. So I've, I've had a lot of fun with it and the books have been uh, great sellers and uh, it's, it's, that, that's been a really interesting uh, journey. Yes. So one of the, uh, you know, talking about why fights happen, uh, one of the famous brawls uh, of the modern Detroit Tiger era, say, uh, you know, as far back as 40 years ago is uh, Al Cowens, uh, who played for the Tigers, but played for the Royals at the time, got hit in the face by Ed Farmer mm-hmm. and uh, broke his jaw. So the next time that Al Collins faced Ed Farmer, he had a ground ball to the shortstop, but he didn't go to first base. He went right out to the mound and attacked Ed Farmer. Yeah, and and no, you know, nobody knew why. Uh, it, it took a little while to finally realize why that it had happened. So obviously Al Cowens didn't think that uh, Ed Farmer just let one slip away that maybe he was trying to, to plunk him. Te- right. Teams keep, I mean, teams keep track. I mean, there's, there's a notebook. Um, it, they may not admit it, but they do. I, I mean, I interviewed hundreds and hundreds of players, pitchers, catchers. I mean, the people in the know, you know, the managers, the uh, bat boys, and they keep track. If you're, you're up 10, nothing in the ninth inning and a guy swings out of his shoes in a three Oh pitch, someone's getting it in each, each manager, you know, Tony LaRusso might say, well, you want to take out our center fielder? We're going to take out your center fielder. You want to get our, our cleanup hitter? We're going after your cleanup hitter. And basically it's, it's tit for tat. You, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're not going to get away with much. And uh, the, the, the code says so, that you must be held accountable. So it'd be great, you know, for people listening in business, if you could just beat the crap out of people that way, but unfortunately <laughs> you can't, but you know, karma has a way of, of, of leveling things out in business too. No question. So uh, I guess the natural question to this is you've done the three major sports. Uh, did you look into codes in professional basketball or is it just hasn't been an interest for you? You know, I've written some basketball books, but it wasn't as interesting. Basketball is, uh, <clears throat> and part of it's because my team stinks so bad. Um, <clears throat> being a Timberwolves fan and a Golden Gopher fan, but um so I don't follow it as closely as I, as I, as I do other sports, but you know, there, there aren't really, I mean, back in the day, you know, when you, when you're talking about like, you know, the bad boys and Bill Lambeer, but there were never really like, you know, in hockey there's fights. It's, I mean, issues get resolved. There's, there's, you know, there's some, you know, there it, it's, it's serious. Basketball there's a bunch of pushing and shoving and hugging and dancing and, yelling and it's just it's just you know there's it's just not that it's just not that interesting to me so i've i've just focused on other stuff to be honest with you yeah 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 it uh it doesn't seem like uh 
there are unwritten rules uh, in basketball like there are in the other three sports that, that, that you mentioned. Uh, maybe it's because they're all exposed so much, right? In hockey, you got the, the gloves and the, and the helmets. And, and baseball, you just got a lot of players, right? Yeah. <laughs> when the bench is clear, you know, there's not really a lot that's going on. And, and then in football, you've got, the, of course, all the equipment. But there's nothing and basketball like that. So I don't think that they really want to square off, uh, you know, <laughs> well, the, like fi- they do. the fines are so incredible too. I mean, they just, that that's not what they want for their league. So they don't tolerate it. You, you get ejected. And so, you know, even in baseball now, it's funny how the players, the pitcher will, if he knows he has to drill a guy, he'll wait till he gets in a complete game and then drill him uh, maybe in the sixth inning so that he gets uh, so his contract can say he had a complete game. You know, the elevator clause will kick in. So, I mean, there's, there's so many side issues now as opposed to back in the day when, when an Olin Ryan or a, you know, Bob Gibson would just drill you and right in the, you know, right in the back or whatever. It was just, it's just a different era. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your, uh, what's your favorite uh, subject that you ever wrote about? And, and, and what I mean is maybe a particular person, um, you know, that you just found to be an incredible person to write about. You know, I've written two books about Herb Brooks and he, he was really a hero of mine. Um, the, the coach of the fabled 1980 us Olympic miracle nice hockey team. That was, uh, uh, I'd mentioned earlier when I was 10 years old, I watched that game and it, it really inspired inspired me to play hockey and I I met him at his hockey camp and we became friends later later in life and, and I'd interviewed him for many books and and he actually in about 2002 asked me to write his biography and I was working on his biography with him almost a year um, and was actually golfing with Herb um, the morning he was killed in a car accident oh, he, he was leaving he was heading to Chicago for a speaking engagement and um, I, I remember just being really devastated so I, I turned our book into a memorial um, called Remembering Herbie. And then I helped to create the Herb Brooks Foundation with his family. So now I, I donate proceeds from all my books. And I wrote another book called America's Coach about Herbie and the Miracle and how he pulled off the greatest upset in American sports history. So our, our charities raised millions to help kids. And that's our mission is to, to grow the game and get more kids outside of you know Minnesota and Michigan, Massachusetts, but kids in Texas and California and Florida and wherever to, to play hockey and disadvantaged kids socioeconomically, kids with special needs, Down syndrome, autism, uh, kids whose parents are in the military overseas. Um, so it's been a real passion project for me being involved. And I'm very honored that I get to share his legacy and in all my speeches and talking about him and some of the methods to his madness and his success and uh, just a fascinating guy. But uh, if I had to pick one guy, he's definitely the guy that uh, probably impacted me the most. I take it that you saw the movie Miracle at least once. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a part of the making of it. Herbie died during the making of the movie. So I actually got to work with the producers a little bit and they used some some material from our book that, uh, in the movie. So, um, yeah, it's been great. We, you know, here in Minnesota, where half the team was from Minnesota, um, you know, it's like it's like part of the part of the vernacular. You know, it's woven throughout the fabric of society. We had the 40th anniversary of the miracle last month or in February, I guess. And uh, we had parades and I mean, it was, a, you know, it was, it's a big deal. So here it's still part of the, um, you know, just really woven throughout part of life. Um, two years ago, I got to skate in the Miracle and Ice Fantasy Camp up in Lake Placid, New York. That was a trip. If you're ever looking for a bucket list thing to do, I think 19 of the 20 players played. 
um, which was amazing. And it was like five days of just hockey and beer and hockey and beer. And it was, it was amazing. So uh, the guys are still around. They, they live around here and I see them at the golf tournaments and um, you know, we have a big golf tournament, the Herbrooks foundation, they all come and it's just wonderful. So it's, it's great to, to, to be a, a very tiny part of all of that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's something that I uh, didn't know uh, about you, uh, you know, even though I've, you know, I, I know you a little bit. So that's really incredible. And um, so Herb Brooks uh, really left a, an indelible mark on you. Now, do you think that uh, Kurt Russell did a good job? He did. He did a great yeah. job. And I got to meet him. And, you know, for him, it was just another gig. But, you know, a lot of people don't know this. Tom Hanks was originally cast in that role and, and Kurt lobbied for it. Uh, interestingly, Herb Brooks was coaching the Pittsburgh Penguins um, in the 90s and he got to know Kurt Russell's son, Wyatt, who was playing um, junior hockey at that point and some professional hockey leading into that. And they had scouted him. And uh, so they got to know him. So when the role came up, Kurt lobbied for the role. He was a good athlete himself. He played minor league baseball, but he wanted the role. And, you know, he really, he really took the time. He came and did a lot of method acting. He kind of, you know, got the Minnesota accent down, you know, and learned how to uh, skate and uh, he, he, he did it right. And I'll, I'll tell you the, the thing about the movie that, that it's great. And I'm a big hockey movie aficionado. I did a book with the, the Hanson brothers from Slapshot fame and actually interviewed Paul Newman for the book before he died. And he said he never had more fun or drank more beer during a movie. <laughs> but the, the, the brilliant thing about Slapshot and Miracle was that they got hockey players they could teach to act versus actors they could teach to play hockey and and i say that if any of your listeners have ever seen the movie young blood that starred rob lowe and patrick swayze you know what i'm talking about i do one of them could never they, they were on like a they were pulling them on a skateboard like they, they they could they didn't know how to skate you know and there was a body double so it, it, the, the hockey was great they 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 did it true to the story and uh you know it was just an awesome story so so the hockey purists were very happy about that that's great. That's great. So, uh, hockey's your favorite sport? Absolutely. But I do live and die with my beloved Minnesota Vikings. I know you're a Lions fan. We can both find common ground. We can all hate the Packers. That's how I feel about it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love football. I, I did write a book, a flip book called I Love Brett Favre. I hate Brett Favre, which was a really funny um, about my bipolar relationship with, with, uh, Brent Favre, as I like to call him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love football. If the Vikings ever won a Super Bowl, I would, I would weep uncontrollably. Um, I, I, I'm so miserable when they lose and they're, they're setting up for a five-win season this year. I, I know you suffer with your Lions as well, so uh, we both have that in common draws. Yeah, but you know what? I can point to uh, some years there that the Vikings have gone you know, to the Super Bowl, and and I know that they've lost. Uh, you know, the Fran Tarkenton era was was pretty exciting. Um, the Lions, though, I, I put them in the same category with the Cleveland Browns. They just, <laughs> you know, once the fifties and the sixties ended, uh, it seems like those franchises just cease to be competitive on a year in year out basis. But uh, uh, you know, it is what it is. You, you you root for who you root for, right? And that's usually your hometown team. That's right. I believe everyone should be a homer. I love all Minnesota teams and I hate everyone else. That's just how it should be. 
<laughs> so who is the natural rival for Minnesota uh, in in sports? Is it Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin? We hate Wisconsin. Okay. Badgers, Packers, you know, no one really cares about baseball, but, you know, for sure, for we hate Iowa uh, in football, for sure. Uh, in hockey, our, you know, North Dakota was a massive rival for college hockey mm-hmm. back in the day. That was a, that was a, a bloodbath. People enough, people often ask me when I was Goldie the Gopher, the mascot at Minnesota, if I ever traveled to to Grand Forks to to uh, be with my Gophers when they would play the Fighting Sioux, and I said, "Are you mm-hmm. crazy? These people throw <laughs> dead Gophers on the ice. What do you think they do to me?" So, so I, I definitely did not go up there, but. Uh, now that's what makes it so good, Draws, is you know, we have these rivalries. Um interestingly, you know, Michigan and Minnesota, our home states, we're we're borders. So up in the UP, you you know, uh the, the there's some islands that touch Minnesota that are very close that Michigan owns. So we're actually closer neighbors than you'd think. And there's good hockey rivalry with with Houghton and you know, up in up in the Sioux. But um you know that's what makes sports so so fun is that you can you can hate your rivals and you you know you can drink beer afterwards and it, it just makes it uh, makes life a lot more enjoyable and it's why we're all miserable with this coronavirus because there's no sports on TV. No, I found myself uh, you know our Fox Sports affiliate uh, locally here in Michigan has started showing a lot of the classic games from yesteryear and um, I uh, was watching. The 19, it's, they'd showed a little bit of everything. So last night it was the game two of the um, NBA finals in 1989 with the bad boys that you mentioned earlier. And the night before it was uh, the four, the four games of, of the Red Wings, the first cup that they won in, in all those years and, and some Tiger playoff games and things like that. So that's what I, you know, that's what I've relegated myself to at least watching a little bit of that. At least it's something. So, yeah. yeah, and I see Florida now is is reinstating wrestling, wrestling because they feel it's essential during during the, yeah. during the lockdown. So, um, who who knows? It'll be interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Talking to, talking about you know, uh, for those of you listening, we were talking uh, before uh, we went on uh, just about uh, you know the 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 how life is is going to be different, especially for a period of time. And it may never go back to what we all looked at as normal. And, and, you know, when it comes to sports, uh, you know, there's going to be a period of time, I think where sports is going to be played to empty arenas and stadiums, um, you know, before the crowds start coming back. And I think that's, what's going to happen with the, with the, with the wrestling, as you said, I think they're going to be playing to empty arenas, yeah, you uh, could be right. It could be yeah. right. And, and people people just want their fix. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm of the opinion that I think the economy can 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 slowly wean back in, even for what I do. I think you can still have conferences via social distancing, but I don't think you can have a baseball game via social distancing. You know what I mean? I I think uh you could still have people sit six feet apart in a in a in a room doing work, even wearing masks. Um, but I think if you had to, uh, um, go to a ball game, you can't, you know, even every other seat or whatever wouldn't work. I just think it's too, uh, you're too close and, you know, so yeah, who there's knows? too much, yeah, there's too much milling around. 
right? Yeah. I mean, you could have every other seat, but people are going to be walking in the mezzanines and the concourses right. and right. and things like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They even went as far in uh, Taiwan. Uh, they have yeah. put uh, paper people yeah, uh, in the stands and some robots. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's good stuff. So, um, so I, I know you're on an involuntary hiatus because of the things that we do. We speak at conferences and things like that. So, um, personally, I think, uh, if you haven't looked into it more that you're going to find the explosion of summits, at least in the short term being online or virtual and, um, and that may be something if you haven't looked into it already yet that uh, seems to be really percolating out there. The- yeah, I, I hosted a Zoom webinar uh, today. I called it a live keynote because I i don't want to just sit in front of the computer. So I was actually standing, running my PowerPoint off of a laptop onto a big screen TV behind me so I could move around a little bit, make it more interesting. But yeah, you, you've got you to gotta jack up your home office. you gotta, you got to come in... Guns a blazing. You need the 1080p webcam. You need the ring light. You need the you know the 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 external web uh, lapel microphone. I mean these are these are all yeah. on your shopping list now if you're doing what I do. And you know my hope is that within two months, three months, people are so sick of Zoom they don't ever want to do it again. That's what I'm banking on. Rod draws. I'm hoping I don't. I want to get back out there, man. I want to go back to work. I know everyone else does too. So I'm I'm chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah, especially for those of us who, you know, spend a lot of time socially, airports, restaurants, uh, conferences, things like that. It's like, oh, okay, now I've got to be at home for how long? <laughs> yeah. So, okay, uh, so three uh, non-related uh, items here. I'd just like to find out a little bit about my guests over and above what they do for a living and and whatnot. So, uh I call them uh, bullet questions because I just want you to think about it for just a second and come up with whatever pops into your head. So first things first, uh, Ross Bernstein, what's your favorite food? Little Caesars pizza. (laughs) Uh, That is a great answer. I'm sticking with it, Ross. Okay, I'll, I'll take it. Do you like to cook? I do. Um, I married a dietitian. Not that you can tell looking at me, but um, she's a fabulous cook and she cooks very healthy. And but I do, I do enjoy cooking. Um, I, I absolutely do enjoy it. Yeah, you're you're lucky uh, that you have. Even though you like to cook, it, uh, you got somebody who you know knows how to c- cook it up right and keep it healthy and whatnot. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, uh, now I know that you've been all over the world, Ross. Um, where in the world would you like to go that you've never been? Uh, well, I've got, I've got lots, lots of places on our list. Uh, yeah, I'm lucky. I've, I've been able to speak on all seven continents and brought my wife and kid with me to, I don't know, maybe 60, 70 countries so far. So we, we really love traveling together as a family. I have some gigs lined up this year that I'm sure are going to uh, fall by the wayside to two really cool places I was, I was excited to go to. One of them was Istanbul, Turkey, and then the Turkish Gold Coast. We love the Mediterranean. It's one of our favorite places. So we were really looking forward to going there. And the other place was um, in uh, Morocco in North Africa. So I'm bummed out that I won't be going there, but I'm hopeful that I'll be able to go to those two places uh, when, when things get back to uh, the new normal. 
Yeah, I don't think they're going to forget about you. Uh, I think they'll probably keep, you know, unless unless there's something going on in the world that uh, has changed so much that they want to bring somebody else in with a different <laughs> subject matter, you know. How about you, Draws? What are your favorite places that you've been and where do you want to go? Uh, well, uh, excellent question. Thank you, Ross. Um, I have ventured to all 50 states and to Canada and to Mexico. And uh, I think that the, the next place that I really would like to go is France. Hey, Ross, you have a degree in French, don't you? <laughs> One thing I want to warn you about France, I've been there many times. There's a yeah. lot of French, there's a lot of French people over there. I'm just telling you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then maybe we should get together before I go to France, and you can give me a, you know, a, a, a crash course on at least. I hear they've got good, they've got good French fries over there. The French bread. I <laughs> Very good, but yeah, so France uh, would be one of them, and uh, and then the Netherlands. So you know, a little bit in Europe. I, I think that'd nice. be the uh, next next place to explore. Yeah, Amsterdam is a very cool city. You're going to love it. And if you get to France, uh, our favorite place is Cannes along the, the Côte d'Azur and the Riviera. Beautiful place. So you find yeah. the niche, you highly recommend it. Yeah, uh, of course, uh, that's known for the Cannes Film Festival. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah, so that's you, you, great. You do not want to go during that time frame because your hotel room will be about $8 million. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely stay away from it then. <laughs> but uh, so uh, assuming that the world's going to get back to normal and uh, the high-end demand Ross Bernstein, uh, a company wants to call you to either set up a gig or, or something like that, how do they get a hold of you? They can just reach out to my website, rossbernstein.com. Yes, and that's Bernstein, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, correct? Yep, exactly. Very good. And and uh, having uh, looked at your site, uh, all of your books are available through your website as well. Yeah, I'm not so interested in selling books anymore. I mostly just give them away to clients that hire me, but mo most of my world now is speaking. But yeah, they're on a separate site. But yeah, for, for me now, it's mostly just uh, just speaking at conferences. Okay. Well, very good. All right. Well, Ross, honestly, you know, uh, sometime uh, down the road, I'd really like to have you back on because yeah, I think we could go. We, yeah, yeah. I think we could go for another hour. Easy. Um, good conversation. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, for those of you out there listening, that's going to do it for now. Uh, one more time, I'd like to thank Ross for coming on. And, uh, and of course, uh, don't forget about my website drawstalks.com uh, my two books inspired our differences are changing the workplace a business book and i think ross you use the term flip book uh and i have a flip book that's called leadership one golden nugget at a time so awesome yeah so you can uh, you can get that uh, on my website as well and and anything else that you need relating to uh to what i do so ross thanks so much and uh thanks to all of you out there for listening take care Bye for now. You have been listening to the Drawscast podcast. Inspiration, motivation, and leadership with an attitude. Be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and head over to his YouTube channel, The Draws, and do the same. Want more? Go to drawstalks.com for more great information and to find out how to book draws for your next event. And Check out Draws' latest book, Leadership, One Golden Nugget at a Time. Tune in next time for more.
of the Drawscast Podcast.